0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, good morning. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It was a good time of worship. Amen. And uh, we are finding Jesus in Genesis. In the beginning, finding Jesus in Genesis. That's what we're working on right now. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the true Word of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the perfect Word of God. The Bible bears witness not to itself but to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect Word of God. So as those who believe this and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, we read the Old Testament in search of finding Jesus. We read the Old Testament in the light of Christ. and In fact, we read all of the Bible in the light of Christ. And so what we're doing right now is spending seven Sundays... Finding Jesus in Genesis. Last week, we looked at creation. And where do we find Jesus in creation? Well, we find out He's the Creator. He is the agent of creation among the Godhead. This good world is the creation of our Lord Christ. Today, we're looking at the story of Adam. And we're going to have to try to find Jesus in the story of Adam. So let's get started. Let's begin with the first creation account in Genesis 1. There's a second account and we'll get to that too. But let's begin in Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to focus on the creation of humanity. Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind, Adam, in our image according to our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind, Adam, in His image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. Amen. All right, so this is, this is in Genesis 1, the first creation account, and the creation of human beings occurs at the very end of the sixth day. You know, there are six stages, six epochs, six days of creation, and humankind is created at the end of the sixth day. And it says, then God said, let us, let us, God is speaking in the plural, let us, not let me, but let us. Now, uh, originally, you would have understood that as referring to the court of heaven, which shows up in, in, the, in the Old Testament that God reigns among a court. And there are other beings there, angelic and otherwise. Uh, but Christians now go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this not the council of the Trinity? Is this not the Godhead? Is this not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the living God, one God? And so, God said, let us make... Well, the word is Adam. Sometimes it's translated man or the man. Sometimes it's translated humankind or mankind. Sometimes it's just translated as Adam. But it's all the same thing because the word Adam means humankind. So, in the beginning, God created a human that He called humankind. All right, so that should... Indicates some things. So God said, let us make Adam, which means humankind, in our image. Well, that's something unique now. In fact, in the creation account, the first one, you just have God said, God said, God said, God said, and he saw that it was good, it was good, it was good. He's creating light and planets and dry earth and seas and birds and fish and beasts. But when it comes to humankind, there's, there's a preamble. Let us. Make humankind, Adam, in our image. So there's something special. This this creation is set apart a little bit. In some way, this creation bears the imago Dei, the image of God. It is with this creature that God has an I-thou relationship, meaning that human beings created in the image of God are capable of having a conversation with God. And that's an remarkable, remarkable and amazing thing that that happens. Amen. And so, let us make man in our image or Adam or humankind according to our likeness and let them have dominion over everything, over all the earth. Now, humankind is not given dominion for exploitation. Humankind is given dominion that we might tend and care for the well-being of God's good creation. Uh, Humankind has dominion over the earth as a park ranger, has dominion over one of the national parks. The park ranger isn't there to despoil the park, to abuse the park, to exploit the park, quite the opposite. The the park ranger has dominion in order to care for it and protect for it and see to its well-being. Amen. All right, so God creates humankind in God's image, gives humankind dominion, and we're told, so God created humankind, Adam, in his image. I'm going to read it that way. So God created Adam in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in the first creation account, in Genesis 1, there is no Eve. Eve, by the way, means life or living. There is no Eve, though, in the first creation account because Adam is male and female. And they're created at the same time. See what it says? So God created Adam in His image. In the image of God, He created them. It's plural. Male and female, He created them. So humankind is created male and female in the image of God. Humankind is created male and female in the image of God. Because God, the living God, is not identified with God one gender or the other, but both. Thus, for example, um, Genesis 1.31 can speak of God as mother because God contains both feminine and masculine attributes. So both men and women are created in the image of God. All right. Now, we have a second account of creation in chapter 2. Actually, it begins the way our Bible's divided up. It begins in chapter 2, verse 4. But it is a second creation account, and it goes like this. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was on earth, the Lord God formed humankind, or Adam, from the dust of the ground, the Adama, we'll get to that, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and humankind, or Adam, became a living soul." So, in the first account, humankind is the pinnacle of creation. It comes at the end. God says, let there be light, and at the very end of the sixth day, he gets to let us make Adam, mankind, humankind, in our image. In the second account, that begins in chapter 2, verse 4, it is, well, there's the creation of the heavens and the earth, but there are no plants or beasts yet. No plants or animals. And in that account, humanity is created first because the focus of the second creation account is on humanity. And so before there's beasts, before there's animals, before there's fish, before there's birds, before there's even plants, God creates humankind. He creates Adam, Adam, out of the Adama. That's where Adam gets his name because Adam, Adama means soil or, or ground, because we do come from the soil. I mean, we're connected. I mean, the minerals in our body, we're connected to this creation. And so God forms, I say it like this way, Adam or Adam comes from the Adama like we humans come from the humus. You know, human, that's how we identify ourselves, we're human, and we come from the humus, meaning soil, not the hummus. We're created not from the hummus, but from the hummus. Some of you are created from hummus, I think, maybe. <laughs> Wouldn't be bad. And uh, so, so Adam or Adam is created from the Adam. So what does it mean to be human? It means this, that we are a synthesis of both the dust of the earth and the breath of God. We're not told that God breathed in this way upon any other creature. So he forms humankind the corporal portion of the human being from the soil, from the earth. We, we share that in common with all living things, plants and animals. We all have a connection to the earth. But into Adam, he whoo, breathes the breath, the spirit, the wind. It's all the same word. You can translate it. He, he breathes the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God into this creature created out of the soil and adam adam mankind humankind becomes a living soul a nephesh nephesh that's the word it can be translated living soul living being it's also the word for neck and think about the neck what is the neck the neck is the part that connects the cerebral and the corporal or to be more poetic it's the part that spans heaven and earth Because human beings are capable of living both in the Spirit and on the earth. In heaven and on earth. And we are to have both. We can't be all in heaven. We can't be all on earth. We are to be both. We're created from the dust of the earth, breathed upon by the breath of God. Heaven and earth connected in one being. And we become a living soul. Now, the original human vocation... Was to tend the garden. We see that in verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took Adam, or humankind, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and take care of it. So that is the original human vocation to take care of God's good creation and make it like a garden. Uh, and that, by the way, that vocation has not been rescinded. I'm going to get all out of order on my sermon here, but I can't resist just jumping up way into the story and reminding you that on the first Easter, we find the gardener back in the garden again. And so the task, the vocation given to us by our Creator to tend and care for this creation and to make it a garden has not been rescinded. It remains our task, and in the risen Christ, it is renewed. We are to be gardeners. Yes, yes, yes. All right, now, the Bible tells us a big story. Genesis to Revelation is an epic story. The Bible is not really an encyclopedia of God facts. The Bible is not really a journal of divine jurisprudence. What it really is is the epic and inspired story of how God ultimately overcomes evil and death. Now, as such... There are going to be antagonists in the story. Antagonists, you know that. Bad guys. Bad guys. Uh, think about another epic story, The Lord of the Rings. You got your antagonist. You got Sauron, the big eye. You know. And uh, Saruman and other lesser ones, Gollum. And, and uh, Is Gollum really an antagonist? I hmm, had to think that through. Worm tongue, definitely an antagonist. Uh, Those Urukai antagonists, all right, against which the Fellowship of the Ring and Frodo and all those must struggle. Well, in the Bible, we're going to meet a whole lot of. There's a lot of antagonism in the Bible, so there's there's no shortage of antagonists. Just to name a few, we're we're going to, as we go through the story, we're going to encounter Pharaoh, who will not let the people of God go. We're going to meet Goliath. We're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar. we're going to meet King Herod. We're going to meet Pontius Pilate. And that gives an opportunity, you know, for for the heroes to arise, like, you know, David and Abraham and Daniel and all the rest, and most of all, Jesus. But in the Bible story, these antagonists are really just an extension of evil itself, the devil, the Satan. And the devil makes... Its first antagonistic appearance in Genesis chapter 3, right there at the beginning of the chapter. Now, where he's, this being, this serpent, is actually what it says, is not identified as identified with the devil until you get way into the New Testament, almost to the very end, in Timothy and Revelation. Uh, it's, just, it's just described as a serpent that was wily, that was cunning, that was clever, that was up to something. And we're not told where it came from. We're just, it just appears. And that's one of the things about the Bible. The Bible does not really give an account of the origin of evil. It gives an account of its demise, but not account of its origin. So in this story, we just have just, the serpent just appears. The serpent just shows up in the garden giving worm-tongue counsel, giving ill advice, giving deceitful counsel, which unfortunately is followed by... Adam and Eve and that results in a catastrophe into undoing much that was good ultimately it leads to exile exile from the garden but ultimately even exile from life itself because now they will be subject to death and the result of this is that humanity becomes lost we've we've lost our home, we're We're not where we should be. Something's gone wrong. Something has fallen. Something has broken. Some, Some disaster has befallen us. And so we pick it up in Genesis 3, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam, humankind, and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Oh, You know, it doesn't take long for tragedy to show up in the Bible. First two chapters, good, 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 very good. It's all good. And then chapter 3, and all of a sudden we've got a lot of drama. And something has gone wrong. And Adam and Eve have followed the ill counsel of the serpent. And now they're hiding from God because they're afraid and they're ashamed. They're afraid And they're ashamed. They're afraid of all kinds of things. Most of all, they're afraid of God. And they're ashamed of who they are. And so they're hiding from God. Now, as the Creator arrives within the garden to see what has transpired, the Creator begins to pronounce judgment. Upon Adam and Eve, the judgment is painful labor and fruitless toil. And an inevitable return to the dust and an immediate exile from Eden. And then judgment is pronounced upon the serpent. I'll read that for you. Genesis 3:15. "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel." This is known in theology as the proto-evangelium. That's a fancy word. It means proto-gospel, or we could even say it this way, the first good news. The, this is the first telling of the good news. Now, it's, it's quite obscure. It's rather hidden. It's almost as a riddle, but it's there. And, and the Creator, almost in a dark, mysterious riddle, hints that there will come from the woman a seed, a son that will crush the head of the serpent, though this seed, this son, from the woman will be wounded in the process. I mean, that's the kind of riddle that only makes sense once you know what it's talking about. But there it is. There it sits. Seed. We talk about the seed of the man. But this is the seed of the woman. So a man's not involved in this. Oh, I guess guess we have a little proto-Mary here, proto-Virgin Mary. There's there's going to be one that's going to be born without the aid of a man, of woman but without the aid of man, and this one will be the one that will ultimately bring about the demise of evil. Okay, That's Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Let's jump all the way up for a moment because we've got to find Jesus, but we need some help here. Let's jump all the way up to Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And then there's this long genealogy. I'm not about to read the whole thing. And it goes back, 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 back. and ends, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke... The conclusion of the third chapter of his gospel gives a genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam because Jesus too is a son of Adam, which is to say that he is fully human. So Jesus Christ shares with us a common ancestry. He too comes from Adam, and he too is fully human. Human, But Jesus Christ, as the seed of the woman without the aid of man, is also fully God. And this is the one who is... See, that, that should tip us up. Oh, has there ever been anyone born just of the woman? Not without a, a man's not involved. Has that ever happened? That is Jesus, because he is fully human. He is a son of Adam through Mary. Through his mother, through the Theotokos, through the God bearer, but he is also fully God. That's part of the implication of virgin birth, that Jesus is fully human and fully God, two natures, two natures in one person. So that in Christ we find what is called the recapitulation the recapitulation of the human race. That is, the re- put a new capital on top, uh, a new head a new, we can say it this way, a new start. Uh, Jesus Christ enters the world as, you can think of it this way, a new Adam, or a second Adam, or as the Apostle Paul says it, as the last Adam. Jesus is like Adam in that both are the father of a race of, of people, but Jesus is also different than Adam. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So we've already seen, you know, God forms Adam from the Adama, a human from the humus, breathes breath of life, becomes a living soul. So we are alive. We have have being, we have awareness, we even have self-awareness. And that we have God awareness, but we're afraid of God oftentimes, ashamed when we think about God, and we're hiding from God, and we're fearful, but we have have life because we come from that first Adam who became a living soul. But the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, not only has life, but is capable of giving life transmitting a new kind of life, the very life of God can be transmitted by this last Adam to those that encounter Jesus Christ as the last Adam. So, the first humanity became a living soul, but the last Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. And then Paul says this, "...for since by a human being came death, by a human being also came the resurrection of the dead." For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All right, let's pull this together. Where do we find Jesus in Genesis as it it relates to Adam? Well, first of all, we find in Jesus a new Adam who gives humanity a new progenitor. There's a great word for you. A new progenitor, a new original ancestor. Uh, One that we can all now trace our ancestry back to. If we are born of the Spirit, if we belong to Christ, we all have the common ancestor of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that once we're in Christ, once we're in Christ, there is no ethnic, gender, or class privilege. None of that stuff matters. It just doesn't matter. So now that you are in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you trace your ancestry back to Europe or Africa or Asia. What we do is we, trans- we, we trace our ancestry back to Jesus Christ. And we are one in Jesus Christ. And all these other things become secondary. It's, the, it's Well, they become secondary. So... Uh, we, we find Jesus as the last Adam, the progenitor of a, of a the, 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 uh, the great church father Maximus. The confessor says that Christ has given us an entirely new way of being human because he connects us with the very life of God. We also find Jesus in the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent as he engages with the great antagonists. And so the seed of the woman, born without a man, comes into the world begins to proclaim the kingdom of God and then runs afoul of adversaries begins to encounter the antagonists and then finally in the climactic week there is a raid against him Caiaphas and Herod and Pontius Pilate and together they condemn Jesus and they crucified Jesus. Let's say that this way. They wound him in the heel and in the hands and in the side. Wound him so severely that he dies. And then Jesus Christ goes down into death, but in death, what does Jesus Christ do? He crushes the head of evil and death itself. By death, Jesus tramples down death. Jesus suffers a mortal wound that brings him down into death. But this is the big mistake that was made. This is why the Apostle Paul said, if the principalities and powers had ever known what they were doing, the last thing they ever would have done was crucified Christ. Because what happens is that opens the door for Christ to descend down into death. And in death, he tramples the devil and Satan and hell and death and sin and evil under his feet and crushes it. Yes! And then finally, where do we find... Jesus, in Genesis, in the story of Adam, we find Jesus as the one who comes in search of lost Adam. So Adam, meaning humankind, meaning all of us, Adam and Eve, we're we're all the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve, okay? and So we inherit things from them. Peter calls it the feudal way of life. We inherit it, It it just comes to us. And in varying degrees, we're afraid, we're afraid. That's the biggest thing. That's, th- that's our biggest problem, I think. That and death. But all fear is ultimately a fear of death, that is. All fear is the fear of loss or pain, which is just, it is just extrapolated from death. And so we're afraid, and then we're ashamed. Because we know our own sin. We know our own failures. We know we don't live up to our own ideals. We have a concept of virtue, and we fall short of it, and we're ashamed of ourselves. So we're afraid, and we're ashamed, and because of our fear and shame, we hide Yes, we hide from God for sure, but we also just hide from one another. We hide who we are. We hide our real identity. We're afraid. We're afraid that if anybody see, we're afraid if anybody knows who we really are, they will reject us. Because we're ashamed of ourselves, and we're afraid that if we, so, we have to wear a mask. We have to pretend. We have to wear a mask. Okay, yeah, we do, but it's not okay. I stepped right in that one, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. We have to wear a disguise. Because we're afraid in our shame that if people know of what we're ashamed of, they too will reject us. And so we're all messed up. And in our fear, we're hurting one another and fighting one another and waging wars, you know, literal big wars and our little petty wars that we have with people, all because we're lost. We're lost in our fear and shame. And so what happens? Remember in the story... We have the Creator coming into the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you? This is where we find Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes down from heaven, the Son of God, in search of lost Adam and ashamed Eve, fearful Adam and fearful Eve. Jesus, he says it himself. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Christ went to the utmost extreme in seeking out and saving lost humanity. There's an ancient ancient Christian hymn. You know, Christians have been singing songs from day one. There's an ancient Christian hymn that would often be sung on Holy Saturdays. And one of the verses goes like this. You, Christ, descended to earth to save Adam, but you did not find him on earth, so you descended to hell in order to search for him. So, so Christ, Christ is in search of Adam. Where are you, Adam? Adam's afraid and Adam's ashamed, and Christ comes down to the earth, and he doesn't find Adam on earth, so he says, oh, I'll have to go all the way down into hell to find him. That's why I love resurrection icons so much. I brought mine with me. Here's one up here. I love these. I mean, I just I love to look at these and pray. So you have Christ. This this is the descent of Christ into Hades, into death, into hell, into Sheol, into the realm of sin and death and evil. And Christ has descended because he's been wounded in his heel. It has taken his life, but it hasn't taken his life because no one can take his life. He lays down his life willingly that he might descend into death. And he comes not as a captive, but he comes as a conqueror. He comes into death with all of his glory. And uh, you see the gates of hell there are being trampled down. Those are the gates of hell, and they have fallen in the form of a cross. The cross is how Christ died, but it's by death that Christ tramples down death. So now death is beneath the feet of Jesus. He's crushing the head of the serpent, of evil, of sin, of death. And then the abyss below him is filled with all these chains and and locks, but they're all being broken. And around him are are those that are awaiting their Savior. We have over here on this side, we have have, uh, King David, and then the younger king beside him is Solomon, and then there's John the Baptist and other patriarchs and prophets over there. And then on this side, you have some other people. I don't know who they all are. I see Moses there with his Ten Commandments. And there's, there's women. and there's, But, the, but, the, but the, what I want you to see is those who are being pulled up out of their graves. You know who that is? That's Adam and Eve. He's found Adam, male and female. He's found humankind, and he's pulling them up out, out of death out of their sepulchers, out of their graves. And notice, notice how Jesus takes hold of their wrists. It's not like this. It's like this. They, they can't even save themselves. It doesn't matter. Jesus has come to save them. They're not, they're not, they're not able to. He just says, come on. And he's going to lead captivity captive. Where do we most of all find Jesus, in the story of Adam and Eve, we, decide, we, we find him as the one who is seeking, saying, where are you? And he comes to earth to find them, to seek and save. And he doesn't find them on earth, so he goes down into death. He goes down into Hades. He goes down into hell He says, there you are, I've come to save you. And he brings them up and leads captivity captive. That's beautiful. Now, Jesus is coming to save you. Okay, we have the big eschatological vision. That's great. Believe every bit of it. But Jesus is also coming to save you right now. Some some of you feel like you're in hell right now. Some of you say, I just feel like I'm in hell. Everything's falling apart. Everything's so hard. I I just feel like I'm in hell. It's okay. Just sit there and let Jesus come save you. Just sit there and and say, Jesus is coming. I know he's not going to abandon me. He will not abandon my soul to Hades. I know he won't. He's going to come, and I'm too weak to even maybe try to hold on to him. It doesn't matter. He's going to hold on to me. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me, they're in my hands, and no one is going to snatch them out of my hand. You think think, think the serpent, you think the devil, you think death is going to be able to snatch Adam and Eve out of his hands? Oh, no. Oh, no. They, They belong to Christ now. And so I want you to begin to pray. I want you to begin to pray. And just I don't want you to pray, I don't want you to pray anything complicated. I want you to pray, Lord Jesus, save me. Just Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus save me. And I want you to know that Jesus is on his way. He's coming. He's arriving. He's coming down into your own personal hell. It doesn't offend him. Don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. That's what heaven has to say to earth. Don't be afraid. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. Jesus says that to you. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's there's plenty of room for everyone, and that's where I'm going to take you to. You don't have to stay here. I'm going to take you there. And don't be ashamed. Jesus knows everything about you, and he loves you. We, we are all naked and bare before him with whom we have to do. And Jesus is not offended by you. He's not ashamed to call you his sister, his brother. And Jesus comes to you. You don't need to be ashamed because Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And you don't need to be afraid because Jesus says, don't be afraid. Fear not. I'm with you. I'm here. And now he takes hold of you and he begins to lift you out. And he's going to bring you into the Father's house. Amen. And amen. Now stand up with me. I want us first to confess our faith and then confess our need for forgiveness. And our faith will be expressed and then we will receive forgiveness and then we will come to the table of the Lord. Make this confession with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for his mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. the blood of Christ shed for you.